0: Welcome to endurance icons, where we talk to athletes who are inspiring and excelling in the world of endurance sports. We're your hosts, Mark and Jessica Cullen. And oh my gosh, today's episode was so much fun. We talked to Allison Jackson. Now, Mark, how would you describe Allison?
1: Oh man. First of all, like as a cyclist, Allison has absolutely crushed it. Um, her 2021, like so Epic went to Tokyo Olympics, did the rare double Canadian championship where she won the road race and the time trial. Um, I think she won a world tour stage and also was like six at world champs. So like she's done it. She's all. Fierce. Yeah, she is. Yeah. She's a sick bike racer. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I think the coolest thing about her is like her social media is so awesome. Like guys, seriously, before you even listen to this episode, like pause this, take five minutes and go through her Instagram, uh, Ally action Jackson on Instagram and take five minutes, go through her videos. You will appreciate this chat so much more. She is hilarious. And just like, just like, uh, yeah, fresh for bike racing, like just so much fun.
0: You know, I think one of the things that I loved most about this conversation is just how real she is. And you're going to see this in, you know, so, so often when you perform at a level that high, you can be a little bit more earnest or you can take it so seriously. And, you know, she is this incredible athlete, but there's such an element of fun. And, you know, like Mark said, if you follow her. Um you you will want to scroll all the way through and watch every single video. Like we were crying yesterday when we were going through it. So again, follow it and please enjoy the show. Um Allison is a very special person. Um so many incredible stories and you are not going to be able to help but feel inspired. So, enjoy the show today. Welcome Allison. We're so happy to have you on the show. Thank you. What an
2: intro. I love it.
0: So I mean, I've talked about your social media, um, anyone who follows you, um, it brings a lot of joy. You have this incredible positive energy and also your dancing videos are amazing. How did you start with sort of your brand on social media that has you, you know, bringing a lot of some quirky fun uh, dances and then melding that with cycling?
2: Yeah, it's not that I set out as a plan to sort of meld these two together or even to start this as what would be my brand. It's really just authentically who I am and my personality. I mean, ever since I was a kid, I always uh, made my siblings be a part of ridiculous little videos that, that we would make. And then really, it was like 2020 and the pandemic, I had a lot of extra time on my hands and I knew I needed to laugh. And uh, that's bit also when sort of TikTok came out as a platform to just like make videos. And uh, so, yeah, all that time on my own. And then I would be making these videos and I would be laughing totally on my own by myself. And then thinking like, oh, I just I got to share this with other people. And then also wondering sometimes like, you know, have I made an inside joke with myself that it's really only going to be funny to me and it's not going to connect with anyone else but um seem to get a lot of positive feedback from it and then and then I just love interacting with people who also just like sh- are sharing in my joy over it um so yeah and then and then also for me I I have a high value on life balance so with the the cycling can, is pretty serious um and yeah, this other side of life just, you know, keeps it fun or, you know, when you have life balance, then if one side is going well and the other side's not going well, you you have something else to, you know, keep the, the positivity kind of going. So.
0: I think that's yeah. what makes you stand out so much online as well, because to your point, it is, it is serious. Cycling is, it's very intense. It's often very, um, I would say more earnest, um, is what you see across athletes on the sport of sharing more focus on, you know, racing and how you're optimizing. And then you come along and you're doing all of these things. Um, you know, you're, you're performing at a high level, you're, you, you're racing at a high caliber, but you're still bringing so much joy. Um, so I guess, how do you come up with your ideas? Um, that they're just, they're so funny. They're so creative. Do you spend a lot of time or do you wait till they just sort of come to you?
2: Yeah. sometimes. I mean, sometimes, um, yeah, I just get, I get these ideas and this is basically where I'd be like, this is why I believe in God. Cause how do these things come they just <laughs> to my brain? Um, and then, yeah, so, I mean, I, I have like a bunch of lists on my phone basically, because sometimes, I mean, on a long bike ride, you'll be riding with friends or whatever, and then, you know, start talking nonsense or you come up with some, some idea But I'll take that and then I'll do it for real where, you know, sometimes you'll come up with, oh, that would be so funny. Um, But then you just leave it as the thought. But I'll take that and I'll have a list of all these ideas where sometimes like I run through them a little bit more or build them out. um, So that when I have a rest day or, you know, some extra space sometime that I have already ideas of what what to do or a lot of times with dance videos, like that's just something I love to do in my spare time. Just like practice some dance things or or make up or have dance parties on my own or whatever um but then I'll also have a few in the back uh, in the back of my mind in case my teammates ever want to join then I have a few that I can teach real quick so that um it keeps everyone interested because if you ask my teammates they would say oh yeah like Allison makes these videos and like two takes, one take, maybe like she's, it's amazing. It's it's done over in 10 minutes, but, but that's not the real truth of it. It's just with them. I try to make it really um, manageable pieces so that they'll always say yes. When I'm like, Hey, does
0: anyone want to film a TikTok? <laughs> and that, I mean, you go all out there's smoke machines. There's, and some of your dances are complex. When I was looking through them, when, when I, we were looking at, you know, what, some of the things we're going to ask you, um, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is, do you have a favorite out of all the videos that you've made?
2: Um, Probably one of my recent favorite ones is um, when I do cycling, but make it fashion.
0: It hundred percent. I think so that's so my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> we were crying. We were laughing so hard. Um, we'll link to it in the show notes so that everyone can see it.
2: <laughs> I think partly why that one is my favorite is actually it took a lot of pre-planning, like... I had this idea but then I really had this one idea based on what I call the Madonna bra which was like the two cassettes rear cassettes that you'd mm-hmm. use as like a bra and then uh, but then like that's yeah to make a video you have to make like some outfits so then I was just like listing all the random like bike parts and things I have in the house and then how could you make outfits out of them and then and then I had a few like friends come to just like help me like situate some of these things so it took like Some time to build
0: it up, and then yeah, I just think it's so clever and then
2: also very funny.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there was some serious production value there, and just um, I believe that you took cycling shoes and you actually like somehow attached heels to them. I think in your second look, like, how did you do that? (laughs) Yeah, this also, um, I basically, yeah, I had
2: a pair of like heels, but it's just like a toe strap sandal, and we have um, Shimano, uh, like clip pedals but you know in shimano you like clip kind of the front in and then slam down so then the front i just like clipped in if you will to like the toe strap on the on the on the shoes and then like it has like a little ankle um strap and then there was it's actually it totally worked even with my carpet shoes i could literally walk around yeah i also thought it was so funny
0: I think my other favorite video that you have made is the drop challenge, but you did the cycling version. Um, Like it just, it, it is a perfect example of you don't take yourself too seriously, but what is a really unique balance that I find is we've talked about your high performance and we've talked maybe about your quirky and very talented dancing side, but you mentioned God. um, And I know that one of your life philosophies is, you know, do well with what you have right now. Which I think mm-hmm. is a verse from Matthew. So I'd love to talk a little yeah. bit about that's your life philosophy. Um, when did you arrive at that, and sort of what was your journey to that that uh, mindset?
2: Yeah, so I mean, I, I come from like a faith background, um, from a Christian family. So some some of those values are kind of like in my background. But really, what what this yeah do well with what you have right now. I think it's like especially in sport. You know, and I started in cycling quite late. Uh, Like I was 25 when I signed my first contract, or when I really started cycling, got my first bike when I was 19. So that's quite late. Um, But I think sometimes maybe we focus on the things that we don't have. Like, oh, you know, if, well, if I had started earlier, then I probably would be world champion now. Or, oh, well, all the girls in Europe, they're way ahead of me because they, you know they've been steeped in in cycling culture or whatever but that none of that is really helpful so then I just think and I also just like believe we're all so every human is so valuable in their own really unique like makeup how they've been made and so then I just think like okay how do we exploit basically all the like good things that we see and what we have or how can we um when we're pushed like really to the limit can we yeah it's like a generate creative survival basically i think when we're really like pushed to the limit then we have to get creative um with our situation and so i think just a lot of times in my life i'll just like take stock of what i have right now and so even when i um so first i kind of got into the triathlon um before i uh, became a cyclist and um how that happened was really i was just at one time running swimming and biking but for totally different reasons and then someone said, Oh, you should do a triathlon. And I said, a What? Like, what is that? And then, um, and then entered um, like the Kelowna apple try um, that was like a qualifier for worlds and qualify for worlds in, the, in like the U19 category or whatever. And then, uh, okay, I have a little bit of, so then let's just take stock of what I have. I have a little bit of talent for this. Um, I also had won some other triathlon races so then some of that's like a financial thing so what can I do with what I have right now and um and then just like really dig into that and then try to manage some of the cons um and that's the same I take that's the attitude I take into every um professional team that I go on to because for every team there's going to be really good things but there's also it's not no team is perfect there's always going to be issues and problems so then let's look at what the really good things that they're offering. And then let's totally dive into that or exploit those things, like dig into those and then just sort of manage the rest of it. But when we, it, without living, if we live without a sort of grateful attitude or if we're always looking where the gaps are, then I don't think we're really getting the most out of out of what we've been given. So
0: yeah, let's be a little bit how my philosophy of life goes. That's an incredible philosophy. And it's so important to have that deeper purpose or why, especially when races do get tough, because I mean, if you're just doing it for the purpose of the sport, you won't last long. And, um, like you said, you arrived a little bit later in cycling. Um, you first started in triathlon. I'd love to talk a little bit more about, um, you know, that, that path and what it was like to make that transition from triathlon into cycling. Um, because I think one of the key changes is you completely race differently. It's not just you versus you. Suddenly there's all of these tactics. It's, it's almost like a game. You need to constantly be reading everything that's happening around you. Um, And it's often, you know, the smartest rider wins. So talk to us a little bit about what that transition was like.
2: Yeah, at least like For me, when I was a triathlete, I swam with a swim club. I I ran with the university uh, running club uh, and I cycled with a a local club. And I think that was really important for my cycling development to always be riding in bunch rides or, you know, um, doing the kind of local crit circuit, um, you know, Wednesday nighters or or whatever, Um, because a lot of times, right, the kind of uh bashing against athletes is that they always train alone and then they're you know not good at the bike handling um but I think also yeah for me I've always had such a desire to win um to win and or to just be excellent at, w- at whatever I do and and then sometimes that is like at all costs or like I'm so jazzed about trying to make this happen no matter what uh which makes me uh, fearless and most of the time, um, by being, being fearless, I get pretty awesome. Sometimes it's really bad, but, more, but usually I get pretty awesome. Um, so yeah, then I, that's a little bit of how, you know, why coming into cycling, then I, I can manage sort of the extra chaos and stuff um, that is involved in cycling. But yeah, I think after university, really, I, I sort of had the, I just wanted to be a professional athlete. And an Olympian. If someone had told me, oh, you have the like the the body type and the power to be a rower, you'd be an Olympian. I'd be like, okay, I'll do it because I just I think I just love what the human body can do. Um, and you know, the human body is so adaptable to training and whatever. And I I just am competitive and and um, yeah, want to be good at at something. But what landing on cycling, what I do really love about it is that it's such a strategy game Mm -hmm. and I love playing the game and so yeah you do have to be fit you have to be talented you have to know how to ride your bike but there's so many little ways of how you use your power and when that can really get you to win a bike race over other athletes who are you know down on paper you know better watts per kilo or have a more watts in the sprint um Cause yeah, in, in the end of a bike race, it's yeah, really how, how you play the game.
0: What were some of the things that you did to, uh, you know, sharpen that game because it, it, that there is that transition. How did you learn to make better use of your power? Um, was this just riding with your, your team or were there some other things that you layered on top of that?
2: Yeah. So a bit of where I see where I have where I'm talented is having this race feel. So when I'm when I in my first year I came over to Europe to do a couple of races and it's chaotic and crazy, but I could just I could just feel it in the race that when it got more intense and I just matched it. I just got more intense. Um or I could feel the bunch that there was like there's something coming up. And you know, for Dutch riders and Belgian riders in in these like classics, Um, In Belgium, there's so many turns and small roads, but everyone knows, you know, these key moments, but I have no idea, but I could just sense in the bunch that other people are stressing. So if they're stressing, I'm going to stress too, and I'm going to get there first. Um, So it's, it's interesting now, like I I have that feeling, but then to try to teach that to other riders or to, to break that down, to make it a little bit more coachability um, out of it has been a new challenge uh, for me. Um, yeah. So I think I, and then also, I think it's just that I really keenly wanted to be the first one over the, across the finish line. And so then, um, then I was fearless, you know, in the bike race. And that's why if things got more chaotic, then I just entered with the same sort of chaos.
1: Is there a typical role you play, uh, for the team or does it kind of change depending on the, the stage or the certain type of race you're doing?
2: Yeah, it'll change. And I, I think I also love that about bike racing too. And we see, I mean, in the men's peloton it's been very specialized for a long time where pure climbers are are set for the pure mountain stages. And, you, and then you have sprinters that are hired for that specific role of a crazy bunch sprint. And then you have sort of the classic riders and that are the you know one day specialists in a, in a hard kind of grueling race and the domestiques who do the job to help their winners win. In, and it, we see that growing a little bit more, the specialization in women's cycling as the uh, basically the economy of women's cycling is, is growing and the field is getting deeper. Um, so, yeah, I, I love that in there are races where I get to be leader, where I get to put my hand up and the team supports me to, to try to get the, the win and the result. And then, um, but there's other girls on my team that can do things I cannot do. Those long 15K mountain stages, that is not something that I'm gonna win. And so I'm so happy that I have teammates who can do that. And then in the end, I really just, I just want to be a difference maker and I want us to win uh, in in any way, how the best person to win. So yeah, I, I love playing, getting to play the, the teammate role. Um, and then, you know, you invest in your teammates and then later those teammates invest in you for a win. Um, and then, yeah, now being a little further into my career, uh, I get to also play the team captain role, which is, which is a fun one more, um, you know, making decisions on the road, uh, a little bit more strategy. Um, yeah. And, and that part is really fun too,
1: playing the game. Nice. And you got that role right away. Like, I know you're with a new team this year with EF education. Um, like you hopped right into kind of a team leader role with them right away
2: yeah, I always think in order to be a yeah team, well, team captain, your your uh, your teammates need to vote for that to happen mm-hmm. because really, to be a trusted team captain, uh, the only way that you have a good position is if your teammates are are going to follow what you say or believe that you can make the decisions um, in the race. Um, And then, otherwise, yeah, like team leader for some of the the classics races. When I was hired by uh, the team, they really had a gap for for these one-day hard classic races. They have a pretty good stage race team, some good mountain climbers, but they're really missing this kind of aggressive, um, resilient rider. Uh, so being hired for that role also was, yeah, really exciting
1: for me. I see. And how many days have you already raced this year? It looks like I see like every time EF education puts a post up, it's like Allison Jackson's on the start list for them. So how many days <laughs> have you raced already?
2: Yeah, we've had basically two races every weekend since. Well, almost in February, February, we had, I think eight race days and then, uh, yeah, we're just early into March and have had about four, yeah, four race days. Although our last two were only, were cut short because of the snow, but
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, fun fun spring racing. So is there like an ideal race that like, when you look on the calendar, you're like, oh, this one sets up well for me. Is it like these one day classics or a stage race? You said you don't necessarily love the, maybe the mountain stages as much. What's like your ideal stage or ideal race?
2: Yeah, th- these classics, the the kind of like tough weather, or anything that's really extreme. So um, even the extreme heat I do well in or extreme cold, or the wind or something that just makes it sort of baller, I just love. Um, yeah, these early spring kind of classics are are technical races. There's some really like key points um, and then short, sharp climbs, that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, it, it is my favorite and then um but honestly I love every I love I just love racing so really sometimes with the team when they manage me as an athlete they really just have to t- help me say no to some races or um, because yeah you, you're not gonna be able to peak for every weekend for the three months of of spring when you have all these races um but yeah I think there's um Yeah, we have uh, again has um, a really fun cobbled steep climb circuit um, with the usually kind of a sprint finish and if it's windier that's better. Um, And then yeah, a few of the other kind of classics. Um, Yeah, Flanders, there's some smaller kind of the one day races along the way Perry Roubaix um, is also quite a an adventure to be on when you're when you're in that race. Um, And then there's a few stage races um, later in the season that, that I've always done well at uh, tour Britain is kind of a pretty lumpy kind of, kind of race and, uh, or tour Scandinavia. Um, I've won the sprint Jersey there a number of times want to get that stage winner or an overall um, kind of victory there. And then, yeah, usually a lot of races that are kind of in the, in the Northern uh part of Europe are a little better for me Belgium Netherlands
1: yeah the Canadian toughness in you definitely helps there we're used to all the weather here right the the peak of summer and the terrible winters it's just like Europe's pretty tame compared to that
2: <laughs> that's right yeah if you ask my parents my dad would say oh because you are, grew up on a farm and you're farm tough and that's why you know you learned how to work hard and handle all these you know rough weather and that's what makes you a good bike raiser <laughs> All
0: the rock picking. <laughs> you know it. That's exactly it.
1: What What is rock picking? I am not familiar with this term. I did not grow up on a farm.
0: I was explaining to him yesterday um, where you're just you're in the field and, yep. you know, to to properly make use of the field, you need to get rid of all the rocks. And it's, yes. it's sometimes days of work and you're throwing it into a wagon. He was like, there, there isn't something that makes this easier. Like that, it's still that level of manual labor. He's like, well, I grew up doing it. I read somewhere that you did this as well. So I think it, it builds athletes. I'm going to attribute your success to, uh, starting in rock picking on a bison farm.
2: <laughs> That's so amazing. That's also something I tell my teammates like, oh, back, back when I was young, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't play games after school. I went in the field and rock picked
1: by hand.
2: Yeah. <laughs> or we had it when we were real young kids in the field. And then me and my siblings, it would take two of us to drive the truck along. You know, one, one would have to push on the gas pedals and the brake pedals and the other one would drive a little bit. So we'd move a little and then you'd pick up the rocks and put it. In the back. <laughs> yep.
1: Oh my rock picking. That is wild. (laughs) Maybe I need to add that into my like athletes training schedules when I'm uh, getting them in their key cycling blocks. Maybe that's the answer to to making world-class athletes here. (laughs) Uh, Too good. So, so you've been at this for a, a number of years, making it a pro career. What did you have some like early challenges in, in actually making this a career? Did you think this was like a possibility along the way, like as you were early in it or like, what were your struggles along the way?
2: yeah I mean yeah it's interesting I never set out to be a pro cyclist you know I just really as opportunities come I'm just a yes person so you say yes and you see where it goes and and collect stories along the way basically you know and uh yeah I think um I had met a couple of of pros through like my cycling club um on the west coast of Canada and uh it you could make it, I knew you could make it a career um, as a as a professional cyclist where you would get paid just enough to, you know, eat and and try to make a dream come true. Um, and then, but really, I think it, um, and, you know, then me and my partner, one time we, we uh, lived a van life for a little while because, you know, partly because, yeah, it's really fun, but also like that's, you know, the, how we could actually live, um, and it, it really wasn't until coming to Europe and then seeing some some success uh, that, yeah, and and the women the women's economy of sport has really grown in popularity and and there's a um, yeah the the fans have really spoken out that they want to see more and are supporting it and so yeah it's just built growing the economy of it and it's become more competitive to get contracts um and teams need to yeah pay more to buy riders to be on the team and so yeah it really hasn't been since yeah I mean yeah maybe 2019 was kind of um where it was it was growing up and up and uh yeah now I think yeah it's a much more sort of stable stable career
1: Amazing, So cool to make yeah. it a pro career. Uh, I want to talk about some of this success, because especially that that twenty twenty one when you look at that year, that was just like a wild year for you with like Olympics in there, double Canadian championship, World tour stage win, I believe too, and like yeah. a great result of world chance. Take us through a little bit of that year and like of that whirlwind. Did you expect to have that success? Like tell us run us through that year a little bit and the the emotions you're going through there,
2: yeah. I mean, you always think, right? you know, oh, I was top 30 this year and the next year, oh, I'm top 20. And then on oh, next year, you know, I'll be top 10. Year after that, I'll be winning it. But really, once you get into that, that top 10 from 10th to first, that's a really, really hard. So you have to finesse the, your way to get there. Um, I think in, in 2021, um, I just had really great support from, from my team. And I also, 2020, um we didn't have a lot of racing but we did a lot of training i, I rode more miles a year than i ever have and i think we created this real deep base of fitness um and injury free and then and then took the next year just some more intensity um uh, but not as much volume and it really those two years built um just a, a really strong allison and um took that took that into the race the racing and I think also a lot of people were really focused on the Olympics. And at that time I was an alternate for, for the team. So I wasn't, um, that wasn't my only motivation for the year or for the, you know, two years leading in. And so I could, um, yeah, pick some different goals and different process goals and then really yeah hit those. And I found that in the end, I got the last minute call to go to the Olympics um but i think i had this really fresh mental mentality out of it and also going to the olympics then which is another like dream come true for me but when i go went i just felt like it was all bonus it was a bonus for me that i got to go it was bonus for my teammates that they had another teammate it was a bonus for canada they had another athlete and um i came in just with a really fresh attitude and and you know i would i would have like to prepare for it differently or a little more specific, um, instead of just getting thrown in, but then we're back to my, you know, do well with what you have right now. And all I can do is the best with what I've got. And so taking that in, into the race, um, yeah. And it, yeah, I I did perform super well. And then I think after that, I still had such a great, uh, I wasn't so fatigued mentally, Whereas a lot of people, I mean, everyone goes into the Olympics with the hope and the, for the chance of a win. And there's only one winner and there's way more broken hearts than there are triumphs. Um, but I was one of the few that had, they really like triumphed out of that experience and then took that, um, level of fitness and motivation and, and joy basically into the rest of the season and just, yeah. And I think once you kind of taste a little bit of success, then you you know you back yourself you have to be your own best cheerleader and um yeah took that into to different races and also the culture of the team was really was super good we had a lot of great riders so then it allowed me to take some more chances be be bold in some races and that's how I got the the world tour stage win and and uh yeah and then all these things just yeah build up your confidence and um yeah, going into the world championships that year, um, also, yeah, my best result ever. Um, but I, we had a team of three, um, the two girls who were my teammates there since retired, Leah Kirchman and Caroline Canuel, but they really saw this course as, as one that was going to sue me. And those two girls are heavy hitters. They are great riders. Mm -hmm. And when you have two studs telling you that, yeah, this is This is the course for you. We're going to ride for you. We're going to support you. It's just this pause. I call it positive pressure. For sure, it's Mm -hmm. pressure when, you know, and also, you know, when people say, oh, I hope you do well, but no pressure. Well, for sure, there's always going to be pressure. And what makes a champion is how you handle that pressure, what you do with that. And I I think, yeah, it, it was really positive pressure to have these other girls that just are backing you. They're doing everything for you. And it just, yeah, raises my level too so yeah and you know sometimes in sport uh we we like to do all that we can to peak for these for moments and but as we know like as human bodies and as humans that experience life and not just like the mechanics of sport and training um it it takes a sort of a magical <laughs> or you know all these pieces to like really come together for for a special moment and yeah 2021 was just a um yeah for my sporting life a lot of these things all just came together really well and yeah what my best my best year to date really
1: yeah that was an epic year fun one to follow um it seems like you really love like the team aspect of it like you you were talking about kind of your your amazing year there and you kept jumping back to like how important those teams were and those experiences Mm -hmm. to you so what like did you grow up playing a bunch of team sports or have you always just like what what makes you love this team atmosphere so much
2: yeah, well for sure um I'm a I love people. And uh, I remember in uh 2020 uh when I was on Sunweb we had as a team we took you know the Myers-Briggs personality test. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and on this test I scored 99% extrovert. <laughs> but really it's like in the the team setting I just I just love meeting new people or entertaining people. You know, I'm the entertainer. I just I I love having people laugh and having Helping other people have a good time. So, um, and yet, you know, I did play a lot of team sports uh, growing up. Uh, when you're from a small town and you want to play one sport, you have to play all the sports so that you have a team. <laughs> um, but I think more so, my love of of the team is just really valuing humans, um, and I just find people so interesting and what motivates them, and and then also the value in a bike race of uh i've tried in a number of teams and programs before to win on my own when i haven't had uh the team support or the the strength of really good teammates to make it happen and i can't do it and the only and now is our sport really the depth of riders um yeah you can't just have um yeah, it's, you can't just win on your own. You really need the strength of a team in order to battle like a team like SD Works or Trek or other people that have the depth of riders on their rosters. Um, so, you, so I just really believe in that. Um, and then, I mean, you spend so much time with your teammates on and off the bike. If If the team environment and culture isn't good off the bike when you're spending all these, you know, what's supposed to be restful moments Uh, If they're not restful, if it's in angst or whatever, that's not going to promote good, good performance on the bike either. So,
0: yeah. So what do you do to build out that team dynamic? Because like you just said, you, you win because of the team it's so important that everyone works together and knows their roles and knows i love how you're using um myers briggs testing to see what is how is each person showing up and what does each person need in order to how do, how do we all fit together what are the Rick. some of the things that you do to build that team dynamic so that you can keep winning
2: yeah yeah that's a good question and it it will always change um with with each team because every, no person is the same, right? Um, and I, th- I think when you, also in cycling, when you can have, um, so I get to be a leader sometimes, but I get to be a, a teammate in other times. So when I can show up to my teammates and, sh- and, and show them how to be a good teammate and bleed out of my eyeballs for others, um, right? I think sometimes the best uh, way to teach is by example. Um, and then, yeah, I think also it's, it's trying to find what motivates people, um, that, and, and what gives them confidence that's off the bike as much as it is on the bike. Um, cause I think when we have, when we're whole people, when we're, you know, uh, individuals that are healthy and whole, then we're going to be able to give more, um, yeah, to the team on, on the, on the race day, um, yeah, so I try I I do try to find um, you know, get to know my teammates a more than just um yeah, what's going on on, on the bike. Um, to find it's we you mentioned before, um, the why, the why, why we do what we do. Um yeah, and then and also um being an encourager. So by noticing, you know, it we we're going to be very critical of ourselves as athletes um and also as a team yeah we're gonna to have to be critical of each other of how we're performing so we can get better but also to be able to point out the good things um and to point out those things to others as well you know it's, it's a little bit easier sometimes to notice mistakes rather than you know notice some of these good things so to to try to notice the good things and then build off that like i saw you do this really well now what about you know try it this way or um yeah to, to keep it positive and encouraging and yeah motivate each other
1: nice and what's your like current team dynamic like like do would you have people from kind of all over the world or is it predominantly uh, a number of writers from the same country what's your current kind of team dynamic like
2: yeah it's a so i've been in a lot of other international teams where there hasn't been other canadians or i was the only english speaker on um <laughs> when I was on this Italian team, it was half Italian and half Russian. And that's, I have so many dinner. I I say that I'm a really good dinner guest because of that year. I have so many stories (laughs) from that year. Um, This year, what's really fun is that there's quite a few Americans and Canadians. And what's nice about that is that we we come from even the same humor or the same reference points, you know, Um, or maybe in our, in our breakfast box, Uh, So the team will have a a breakfast box of kind of our favorite things that we'll have, you know, for snacks or, or, you know, before we, uh, when we eat breakfast before the race and in our breakfast box, we'll have maple syrup, which is, just (laughs) you know, there's just a few things that, that um, yeah, we're more alike. Um, So the communication is easier that way, but when you get people from other countries, you get really different perspectives. And I think that's when you can use those different perspectives. If you all have the same perspective, then none of us are going to grow and learn. So when you bring people from other countries, um, yeah, you can really, you, it challenges the team. And sometimes it makes the communication a little bit harder because maybe we want things different ways, but if you can really bring out those differences, the good parts, take the the best parts from all those. yeah, different opinions and and places people come from, then yeah, you have a a better a better team and a better approach to the race.
1: So what were some of the things you learned when you had when you were with that uh Italian Russian team?
2: <laughs> oh man. <laughs> well, that team is pretty old school. Um, so if you didn't do well in the in the bike race, you were riding home. And I remember, <laughs> I remember this one we were in uh tour Norway. So it has, it's four days. The first day, um, I I still think I I finished 20th. Um, that that was pretty good for, for, you know, to a lower level or mid-level team. Um, and so, and, but, you know, the whole day it was just on the cusp of raining. Is it going to rain? Is it not going to rain? We finished the race. It was just springing a little bit, but we, we missed the rain. And you can see in the distance, just this wall of like, rain coming and it's just coming and we're like oh I'm so glad I missed that I'm already getting undressed getting ready and then I look and I see all my other teammates are still on their bikes and then I was like like what are they doing like the rain's gonna come like you should get dressed but but this is one thing that I sort of missed because I'm the English speaker I didn't understand the situation that was going on but basically the director was not happy that none of them had made the front group into this final circuit and so he was going to make them all ride back to the hotel which really wasn't that far away maybe it was 30k but they hit a turnaround from in the dry and head straight into this wall of rain oh no like I was like I can't believe this the thing is they go in and they're just in this torrential downpour of rain the police stopped them because they like, they're like are these are athletes this is so dangerous you have to put Car. so then now they're totally soaked they have none of their extra clothes with them they jump jumped in the car all wet and then drive the rest of the way to the hotel
1: oh my that is a wild story
2: <laughs> that was only that was only stage one we still had three to go oh wow
1: so needless to say they made the front group i hope the other times they were not going through that again
2: <laughs> Yeah, yeah for sure that makes makes riders better doing stuff like that
1: yeah, that's definitely the old school mentality. I don't know if you could uh, get away with that in this day and age. What no, year was that back then? It's, but, but, it's only 2017. It's really not okay. So, long. so maybe not that long ago. Oh, that's wild. Um, I'd love to hop into a little bit about like kind of the uh, the lifestyle and kind of the the things around training of like kind of what life as a pro cyclist looks like. So maybe you could, could you run us through like for our listeners? I'm sure they'd love to hear like. Um, maybe what kind of a day in the life of a, a pro cyclist looks like maybe like an outside of race season, then it may be an example of a day kind of uh, like a race day. What does that look like for you, including all the maple syrup?
2: Yeah, <laughs> always maple syrup. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think sometimes like the the training days can be uh, a pretty g- glamorous life, you know, we just get a ride in new places, and it's beautiful, and, and whatever, um, when we have, you know, the nice weather um you know injuries and you know maybe it's just like exploration ride not those kind of like deep hard intervals or whatever that you have to do you know no matter what on the on the third day you know you're on the third day of a big block and and they have to do all these things but yeah and and i think um, it also depends the the daily schedule depends on basically what country i'm in so when i'm in spain so i live in in girona spain uh, for most of the, the season when the racing is all in Europe and uh, the the culture here is really like a you know we're waking up at eight nine start riding at 10 11 but then you know restaurants and things for dinner don't open until eight thirty, and people are having dinner at 10 p.m so then my schedule also shifts to sort of adapt to the you know when you can go to the stores basically um but yeah it'll be, um i plan i usually plan uh, my routes um w- and take a gpx file um, because i try to ride a new kilometer a new road every ride cool. and cool. um this is uh you can get like a the Wanderer app, it, it attaches to your Strava, yeah, you, you know about it, well, sometimes I get too obsessed with this, but I always try to find, like, new roads or different places, and, and get more, like, a higher percentage of how many roads I've ridden in my neighborhood, or my towns, or whatever, but, um, yeah, I just, I also, it, it keeps it fun, it, it keeps me focused on why I'm doing some of these rides, like, uh to see something new, something, yeah, you know, sometimes you don't go, you don't if you don't have a reason to go down any of the roads, um, yeah, you don't know what you're missing. Um, but you've seen some real beautiful things. I've also hit some really rough roads that my <laughs> friends <laughs> um, have questioned their friendship with me. Why we go down these? <laughs> um, but yeah, um, it'll be just like long ride. A lot of times we have like lunch on the bike, depending how how long the ride is. Average kind of four hours. You know, sometimes shorter when it's a rest day or longer when it's a a big endurance sort of day and then um yeah hit up the uh, recovery shakes usually and shower and a recovery meal is pretty big and then uh, it's good time to take a nap or um put your legs in those recovery boots and uh yeah and then out here when I'm in in Europe then that's usually when everyone wakes up across the pond in Canada and then get a catch up with some friends and family and then yeah I always have like an office hour or two there's still a lot of admin sort of stuff that you have to do even as an athlete so yeah it's kind of a typical
0: day now on the bike, when you say lunch on the bike, one of the things that you demonstrated is that you smash up a poutine and you put it in a waffle iron and you take poutine waffles on the bike. Do you actually do this? And is this a part of your bike lunches?
2: Yeah, so there's, a, so my roommate uh, in Canada, she she really had wanted these like this mini waffles and she got this little mini waffle maker. And I thought, oh, it's like the perfect size to put stuff in your pocket. And then I just started experiencing experimenting like what can we put in this (laughs) little waffle maker but for sure we made some some sweet cakes um we also made the poutine waffle and um yeah actually you know uh, on the bike ride um it was hard to keep the gravy hot when you (laughs) put it on the poutine um but uh yeah it was a pretty good little salty snack actually
1: and the pancake pockets, that's that's one of our faves to throw like pancakes in a, a Ziploc yes. bag. I saw you nailed that one too. And you got, you got the quads to keep it warm as well. What a genius yes. move that
2: was. Yeah. Pancake pockets also good. Also sometimes like um, I like to, right. It's like you take the the waffle cookie, the Dutch mm. cookie, or the, um, there's a coffee shop in the, in Girona here that sells these cookies that have like a filling in the middle. Well, an hour at, an hour into the ride with that cookie on your back pocket getting a little warm and you take it out and that middle is just oozing oh, the sweaty cookies. Nothing better.
0: <laughs> nothing like it.
1: <laughs> oh my, yes. That is the beautiful thing about biking is it's just so much easier to do. We were like on a run today and you can't bring like anything with you, but man, biking is like the moving right. buffet, especially that's what they call it in triathlon. The, the moving yeah, buffet totally. is the bike. It's glorious. <laughs> Uh, so good. So you're saying you're you're riding a lot of times like somewhere in the like four to five, six hour range. So are you on average in like a training week you'd probably be doing something in like the 30 to 40 hours of cycling kind of range. Is that is that kind of a typical week?
2: It's probably a little more like 20, 22 hours on mm-hmm. the bike. And then um, yeah, and then we do yeah, different kind of core strength training or or some of that stuff around.
1: So is the team based out of there too? Like, are you riding with a lot of your teammates in Girona or are people kind of sprinkled all over the map when you're not there together at races?
2: Yeah. It's always interesting with cycling. um, When we're with the team, we're really with the team just for racing and then sometimes scheduled training camps. And then otherwise, um, yeah, we'll even have our own individual coaches. Um, uh, They'll be connected with the team, um, but yeah, our individual coaches and then, yeah, Basically, the we have to show up at the their races fit, um, but we're not doing that in a, in a training together sort of situation. I'll ride with a lot of other riders or pro riders, um, friends from other teams or um, But yeah, that was something that was really different coming from university like track and field where you're training with everyone, you're doing the same mileage, you're doing the same workouts, but then you also have that camaraderie, like or pushing each other in the training that, um, yeah, you really have to seek that out yourself when you're a cyclist.
1: Yeah. So you would have like your team kind of performance director who would be like keeping an eye kind of on your rides yeah. and, and giving you feedback and stuff like that. Nice.
2: For sure. Yeah.
1: Cool. Yeah. And Girona, man, you have like all the the pro triathletes. I see all their stuff there. Um, that looks like such a wicked spot. We want to move there. Um, so you'll yes. have to give us all the roots and we do eventually. I'll show um, you all the hot spots. Yes, exactly. It looks like such an awesome spot. I'm always jealous. Oh man. So are you someone who um like I find athletes definitely like different stuff. Some love the like just the journey of being out for a bike ride. Some really love the data side of things like do you do you really love like jumping into the data across all the the heart rate, power stuff like that? Or are you someone who is more like I'll let my performance director take care of that and I'm just going to go and and hit it? What do you uh where do you kind of stand on that?
2: Yeah, I am not a data person at all. And I, I ride with passion and heart Mm -hmm. and I also train that way too. Um, but the science part is super important and that's why, so I partner, my coach is really into the data, um, as a physiologist and he's connected with a bunch of other coaching and, and, um, you know, new testing, or he's always looking up, you know, the newest, latest, um, even training metrics um, but what I also what I really need to hear is the why behind what we're doing and when I hear um, I, need, I need someone to explain that that there's a reason and a, and a science reason and uh, that's been you know tested and confirmed and um, you know there's a reason why we're doing this certain training and once I know that then yeah I just when I get into it I, I leave all the data and numbers up to the coach to crunch and I just I'm going to, yeah, all heart, all heart when I'm riding.
0: Um, one of the other questions that I had for you is in one of your videos, you're talking about like what you eat in a training camp. Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, poutine in your pocket and you, you're a loud advocate for making sure that you're fueling enough. Um, cycling is famously one of those sports where, you know, weight is a big topic and I'd love to know how you've kept this healthy mindset and sort of performance first, um, sort of habits and actions in a world where weight is such a big topic?
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. And that it, it, it is something that's so, like, uh, yeah, an important part of our a sport in one way, but it be- can become so emotional and, um, yeah, it, and abused. Um, but uh, yeah, it, really the, our biggest performance enhancer, you know, sometimes we're looking at like, uh, you know, beta fuels and, and, and we you know nitrates or all these other things, but actually the thing that's going to get you to perform the most that's so underrated is the carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. It's actually like the best performance it, enhancer, um, that you can get And, uh, I think, yeah, you know, we forget that when we're, everyone's trying to look at these one percenters, but there's, there's some big gains that we can just make with like having topped up glycogen stores. And then I also, you know, in, in bike racing, it's the other thing too, we can compare maybe my Watts per kilo to someone else, but I'm still going to be beating them in the bike race because it's not just about Watts per kilo it's where you use it. And when it's, Mm -hmm. can you use it, uh, at the front of the group when you need to, or if you're behind the group and you're trying to use those low watts per kilo, welts or the high w- watts per kilo, you're you're still going to be behind me when I'm you know starting at the front. Um, yeah, and I I think um yeah also for me, uh. You know maybe I would say if I can still win races, then then I'm I'm good, you know, and uh, but I think it also you know. It really comes from like a a confidence uh that you have in the training and the program and also just knowing that you're you're strong um yeah and i mean we see so many times that uh yeah the the weight issue it really is one of those you know it's like a one percenter thing there's so many other things that you can do tactically or in the bike race that are going to make a big difference that um yeah to get hyper focused on that it
0: yeah, it's never made sense to me. Yeah, and, and carbs are life. They are especially when you do endurance um and hard racing like you do. It's that is the core fuel of it. So I love like the how you share that message and how you underscore how you use fuel to make you the champion that you are. Um yeah. and you mentioned also that you you train and you race with, you know, heart and passion. I would say you live that way and it comes through and even the way that you are all about people and also storytelling, because that's such an incredible way that you connect with people. And you've mm-hmm. brought up story at least once, and I know that you've already said that you know life is just about collecting stories, and you know cycling, you just you know it's it's, you just collect all these stories with bike racing. So you've talked a little bit about the one team, but I'd love to know: is there any story within your bike racing that is your, one of your absolute favorites?
2: Yeah. Um... When I, um, I think this was 2019, maybe. um, But it was one one of my first, uh, or early kind of spring, 2018, maybe it was my first, you know, kind of like really full spring classics block out here. And we're out um, reconning uh, the Genwulbegem course. And they had just introduced these plug struts, which are basically just like dirt roads that they had put in in this course. So we're going to go recon this. And, um, I had created, like, we didn't have a GPX file from, from the race. I just like created one on Strava where I thought, you know, this is this from the road book to this, it looks like this is where we're going. Well, once we get to this point in the recon, then I'm like, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going, to I'm doing a 10 minute effort, like just like through these gravel streets, like how fast can, you know, can I go and manage these corners? And uh, and, it, and then a teammate of mine, she was like, OK, well, I'm I'm going to follow your wheel because, you know, I'm really I'm really good technically. So she just, you know, see if she can like follow my wheel on these gravel streets. So great. And as it is in, in the spring, you know, it's March, it's rain a little bit. It had been raining, you know, the days before. So it's, it'll probably be like a little bit muddy on, on these um, dirt streets. So we're going well we we turn, you know, halfway through or almost, you know, through this 10 minute effort, we're, we're going hard. We're going, uh, taking these turns. Well, we go past this, we're taking a right turn past this farmhouse down this, like this dirt road. And it, it looks, it's pretty bad. Like, and it's pretty muddy. Um, but like, I'm thinking, well, yeah, it's, you know, the Belgians, yeah, they would ride this. <laughs> and then it gets, it gets really bad. Now it's getting like, it's like the whole thing is just like, like, it's like, it's like not even a road. It just feels like a farm trail where the tractor goes and then it's like it's like clay it's like clumping up on my bike but I'm still going full gas because I'm in my effort the Belgians would do this they yeah for sure this could be in the race so if we're going to race and this better practice now I'm full of gas I've got the disc brake so like the, there's a little more clearance you know my bike so I can still like pedal I get out the other side I have like one minute left or whatever and then I turn around and I oh my my teammate's gone and then I think oh like did, did she make it through that muddy part I go back, I see her, she's walking in the the mud, but her wheels aren't turning. She had a rim brake bike and it had clumped so much she couldn't even turn, turn the wheels. And then I'm like seeing her face. She just has like, like not impressed to look on her face at all i think oh no this is gonna be really bad she comes out she comes out of the dirt and doesn't even look at me takes her bikes and plops it in the ditch nearby that was full of water to try to get the this like clay mud off her bike so she could turn it <laughs> oh no she's gonna be so mad at me I'm like are you okay like what happened she was like she was like are you sure this is like the road that we're gonna race on and I, was like, well, I think i i think so it was like on my map i don't know and then she's like well like we we went ahead of the rest of the of the team like where are they gonna go down that or like where are they gonna go and then also we were like our mechanic is gonna be pissed that we these bikes are so mighty. And this is like the day before the race. Like they're like, this is gonna be he's gonna be so mad at us. So we're like, well, maybe we can go to like a farmyard and ask, because like this ditch wasn't doing anything. She was just getting like more grass and things like stuck in her back So then, okay, we're kind of in like the French part-ish of Belgium. And I'm like, well, I'm Canadian, I can speak a little French. Well, <laughs> not not really. So we go to this one farmhouse and I just say <laughs> which is it's nonsense it's i'm not even asking anything and then just below below like water water finally the the woman like takes us to like the horse barn where we can like hose off our bikes or whatever and then anyway we connect back with the team they hadn't went on that route that road, because that's not part of the course at all <laughs> it's actually it's actually just literally a farmer's field a farm trail for the tractors to go to the field there's like another like <laughs> like well, it's still not paved, it'd be a dirt road, but like a trail that's like proper that we were supposed to take, not this one. There was just like one parallel to it. And uh anyway, um, <laughs> uh so um but when we got back, um our mechanic was still like, oh like yeah, your your bikes are kind of dirty. And we're like, oh well yeah, you know, we had these like dirt streets that we we went on, but he has no idea what they looked like before. <laughs> But the, really what I love about this story is just that I just keep thinking like, oh, well, the Belgians would do this. So like, we're going to do it. There was no question in my mind that I was like, are you sure this is in the bike race?
0: I was just going to be riding me. through barnyards and being like, yes, this is the course. Yeah. yeah. Did your teammate forgive you? She did. Okay. So all's well.
1: <laughs> the race well. was easy after that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. In the
2: In the end, we just chalk it up as a great story to tell. So, I yeah. love that story.
0: <laughs> See, it's always, it's amazing that you get all these wonderful stories to collect. Um, And I love that cycling is such a big part of your life. Um, What do you do outside of cycling, outside of creating these wonderful dancing videos?
1: Yeah,
2: I think, I mean, that is probably, I mean, I am really quite public about like the other side things that I do, but yeah, I I actually I love to take little dance classes or basically just like try to copy, you know, mimic, um, you know, TikTok dances and stuff. And um, but I, I also love to host um, dinner parties, um, but I love to like bring people from like all different parts of my life. So, um, so you know, some Canadian friends that aren't cyclists and then I have Spanish friends that that you know or, or just want to practice their English and you try to bring all these people together just to to mingle about and um, you know sometimes that ends up being in a, in a dance party or just like playing some silly games or whatever I, I um yeah love love being a connector or bringing bringing people together um, I also love a good coffee um you're a and, proper cyclist uh, proper yep yeah. um <laughs> Yeah. And then, and also just like exploring. Um, I love seeing new places, meeting new people.
0: Yeah. What's on the menu at your dinner parties? So if you're hosting them, Mm -hmm. what do you cook or what do you bring in?
2: Yeah. So a lot of times we make it like potluck style and then it's always interesting. Everybody from different cultures, what they're, what they're going to bring. Um, and in Spain, a lot of times that, Comes like this like we really make like the best charcuterie boards because here everyone loves like smoked meats and uh so um but also i was making these gourmet sandwiches so basically what we have this bakery that's nearby that's the best but then you know you to, i take like the biggest um baguette that i can get you know you dig out the middle but then you just like layer it full of like it might i might make like a tapenade where it's like olives and artichokes and um, squeeze, basically press it into the bottom. And then you lay, like layer meats and cheeses. And then and then you when you squish it together, it just like soaks in the bread. So then it becomes this like, yeah, Italian sort of sandwich. Or then I'll also make, I always make a a vegetarian or a vegan option one that's like, it'll have like all these like greens and veggies and hummus and things in it. and um, the sandwich so probably for us canadians or americans like that that's a pretty normal like okay yeah it's a great sandwich just you know we can love appreciate a great sandwich but europeans are like spanish people don't eat sandwiches it's, it's not a, it's not really like a thing mm-hmm. so then when i was like pulling out this sandwich and then people would just be like mind blown for how good <laughs> sandwich is. And it's so funny you know something that i would think is like so normal or regular um is so special or indifferent to someone else. So that's, that was pretty
0: fun. That's a cool part about bringing everyone together though. I think uh, Mark and I are inviting ourselves to your next uh, dinner yes. party. Those sandwiches sound unreal. Absolutely, <laughs>
1: I'm hungry. Um,
0: okay, 2023, you've started out the year, you know, racing multiple times in the weekend. What does the rest of 2023 look like for you? I know um, I see there's like a fun Sylvania trip that you're doing in, you know, late spring.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to, um, yeah, dabbling in a couple of you know other side projects this year, um, and one of them is yeah, I'm partnering with a uh, another, uh, woman. She has her own tourism business, the Cycling Center, and she's from Calgary actually. So, and she's been hosting tours for a long, a long time, taking people over to Europe, um, to ride, you know, some of the famous climbs in France or up to Norway and. And um, I had met her on a Cycling Canada project a couple of years ago. And one of the kids had asked me if, or what's one place in Europe that you really want to go to that you haven't been to? And I was like, Slovenia. Because, and everyone's like, Slovenia, you know, where is that? We've never heard of it almost. And I was like, that exactly. It's such an underrated country, Mm -hmm. but it's beautiful. And there's so much wilderness in it. And I, I find coming from Canada, we can find so much wilderness and in BC, there's just, so many places in the woods and where, I mean you can get away from people and you're just in nature and it's beautiful. In Europe that's a little harder to find. Um, it's very populated but Slovenia just beautiful and such the The natural landscapes are are still untouched and you can really get into into the woods but it has such a Um, there's you know rolling hills and farmland there's a whole wine region in Slovenia that's near Italy and then you get really big mountains that are near Austria Um, and then there's in Slovenia there's so many caves more caves than in any country and um, they have this really big cave that has a a train that you can go in um, and it's like 24 kilometers long this this the caves but they're huge these huge caverns and one they have like this big chandelier in it and it's unreal that you're underground um and things that i've never seen before in my life so anyway um yeah so so, slovenia so then we i decided with her we were gonna um yeah plan a tour and take take people to see slovenia Um, so yeah, that'll be, um, yeah, May 25th to June 1st that we're doing this. And yeah, basically I'm just excited to show people my favorite parts of Slovenia to eat some really delicious dumplings and, uh, the, the different breads that they have there and the, this lake bled cake that, um, they've been, they've made over a million, um, or they sell like a million, Pieces of this cake in a year because everyone goes to this lake to have this cake. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's really fun, and I've always been wa- I've been trying to find more ways to have touch points with fans because I find in in Europe if you live in Europe and you come to bike races, then then we can have these kind of um, touch points. Um, but I, I find you know we think athletes are can be really inspiring humans. But um, I think my best way to do that is really by yeah meeting people and, and being able to you know get some of that my joy spread across to to other people and and I know when I was a kid if I could have met an Olympian that would have been the coolest thing and now when I think of you know actually that's me now even though I mm-hmm. you know I just see myself as a regular person but you know to to remember what I would have felt like um, as a kid to meet an Olympian. I just want to create more moments that that could be really cool for someone else. Um, And to, yeah, challenge people, encourage people to come from small towns that had nothing to do with bike racing and achieve, you know, more than what you could have imagined when you were younger um, through, you know, saying yes to opportunities and working hard and, you know, being a kind person. So yeah, just looking for more ways to, to yeah, have touch point touch points with fans. And so yeah, to do a, a bike tour like this could be, yeah, a really fun way to do that.
0: That's wonderful. That's actually a good segue into the next question I wanted to ask you, which is like, what does future Allison Jackson look like beyond 2023? Like, what are some of your big goals for both cycling and life?
2: Yeah, I mean, I really want to get one of these World Tour wins, um, especially in the classics. Uh, you know, a Tour of Flanders or again Welgevem or a Paris-Roubaix. Um, and you know, I I really uh, I loved being national champion. Um, that that will always be like a, a top goal. For every year, um, and then yeah, um, you know we're working really well together as a as a national team. Um, we we did a great job um, pulling together a team uh, of committed athletes for this last World Championships, and I think we're just going to build on that. So um, yeah, to you know dream of being on that World Championship podium, um, getting that rainbow jersey. Um, I, for sure in, in 2021 I te- checked off a lot of you know big goals and so yeah what do we do we don't just stop there we you know keep adding to that so yeah and then um I mean I love what I get to do I love bike racing I love the chaos still I love the the game that we play and and um yeah I think I can really still be a difference maker to to my team so then I think yeah you know I um uh, want to keep doing this for for as long as I still can be that that difference maker and the, as long as I still love it but um yeah and I think when you know beyond that I think there'll be a lot of opportunities that come just um you know as I keep going in in this career I love being on on this team if education to go SVB for The the brands that we partner with are really interested in storytelling, and um, the media team is awesome. And I I really have an interest in kind of that storytelling through video. Um, And, you know, maybe um, with making these connections and with the brands like Cannondale and Rafa that just really want to have connections with the community and bring out some storytelling. Um, Yeah, so I hope we can make some partner up and, and make some cooler, kind of bigger. Uh, video projects.
0: Well, we look forward to seeing that. Um, well, we invited you on because you're an endurance icon to us. Um, you're so authentic. You have so much joy that you bring to your cycling and to that connection with people. And also you're just, you know, killer cyclist. Um, would love to know who's your endurance icon and why is that? Yeah. Um, Swain Tough. He's uh, a legend in
2: cycling and uh, not racing anymore but the legend will live on to and, and i'm going to keep pushing the, the legend of, of this types of stories that um he his life story has for where he came from and how he became a pro but he also had a very unconventional pathway into professional cycling and and he really had a, a long plan he set out you know in professional cycling sort of with a 10 year plan of trying to build on year after year to get to to the top level but he would be a guy that i mean he would go on the these long mountain adventures with just himself um riding into the wilderness of alaska and uh one of some of my favorite stories are when he um so he signed with the world tour team he signed with garmin and then but he said you know like I'll do this and I'll wear suits on the bus, I'll, on the plane to these races. But like when it comes off season, I just need to be able to disappear into the mountains. Like no one email me, no one expect anything from me. I just need to be in the mountains. And then, uh, so, okay. They say, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. So it comes off season. Sh- sure enough, he disappears. No one hears from him or sees any anything of him until he comes out of the mountains and at team camp and he's so tan and buff and ripped because he's been rock climbing he's been doing all these things (laughs) in the wilderness and it's just like these these stories of this guy um just of resiliency and of of uh testing all sorts of um you know even fueling sources for himself or how he was going to train or how he was going to use you know like rock climbing or skiing or other ways to to have fun and gain fitness and keep a balanced lifestyle while being a, a pro bike racer, um, yeah. So I, I just love his life balance and his approach to to life and to yeah ex- exploration.
0: I love that. And so there's such a common theme in anyone we talk to on this podcast is that like joy and fun needs to mm. be a part of what you do in order to compete at a high level. And arguably those who have the most fun do the best. So, uh, thanks for sharing that. Um, and thank you for coming on today. Um, for anyone who's listening, where's the best place for them to follow along with all of your amazing videos and your, the incredible things that you have ahead.
2: Yeah. In- Instagram is, uh, the, the best place to follow me at Allie Action Jackson. A-L-I, Action Jackson. Um, all, all my best TikToks go over there, but there's some exclusive TikTok content that's only on TikTok that is just kind of for kicks and giggles for me. But um, yeah, that's Those uh, channels,
0: everyone. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we'll link to that in the show notes. But thank Thanks. you so much for coming on the show today. It was a total pleasure to be able to talk to you. Yes, well, when I get a chance to tell a story, I, <laughs> I'll tell the story. <laughs> we
2: love
0: it. Thank you. Wow. How great was that? I always learn so much from these endurance icons. If you enjoyed the podcast as well, please consider liking us across social media, subscribing to us on YouTube, or giving us a five-star rating on wherever you listen to your podcasts. We appreciate you and your support so much. We wish you happy training, and we'll see you back next week.